Hey listeners, you may notice a child hollering in the background of this episode. Don't worry, she wasn't abandoned. She was just upset. Enjoy. Hey Katie. Yes. Out of the tens of thousands of species of grasses, which one is your favorite? I'm sorry, you lost me at tens of thousands of species. But I do like uh, the one on the lawn. The green one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Mae Prince and I'm here with my friend Katie McKissick, also known as Beatrice the Biologist. I'm here again. Again. It's almost like I'm here every time. We just like hanging out in the basement. That's what we do, you guys. (laughs) We just Uh, live down here. We do. Um, It's where we belong. But uh, let's see. This week I'm going to be talking about Mary Agnes Chase. Do you recognize that name at all? I mean, I know of a chase, and I don't know if it's her, mm. is that, if that makes any sense. She was an expert on grasses. <laughs> nope, I'm thinking the wrong person. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. Okay. Um, so I'll be talking about her, but before that, what is our science starter? So our science starter is kind of a continuation of a previous science starter. Remember when we talked about the little bird tail in amber? Yes. Did you hear about the other bird they found in amber? This sounds familiar, but I didn't I didn't read the article. Yeah, so this, it was a couple of weeks ago, so it's not... I mean, that's timely. Jeez oh, Louise. <laughs> well, it's not like it happened today It's or within the year. Yeah. But um, so it was from the same main amber deposit, uh-huh. the two big ones in the world... Uh, there's Burmese amber that's about 100 million years old. And then there's um, Baltic amber in Russia that's about 50 million years old. Okay. So it's kind of funny that it's like 50 and, oh, it's 50 and 99, I think. Mm. But anyway, so those are the two big amber, amber deposits. But So they found another bird, but this time it had part of its head. Really? It was like head, part of a wing, its feet. We're really well preserved. Huh. It's wild, this little bird. And so, and it's uh, a hatchling. So it's just, they think it was not even a week old when, yeah. it, when it died. And it looks like, you know, maybe it was killed and partially eaten and then it got trapped in amber Yikes. from the looks of it. So yeah. that's what they think probably happened. Um, but what's interesting about it is that even though it was so young and they could tell because it was having its first feather molt, hmm. they could tell that too. But even though it was, you know, just couple days old it had um, a full set of flight feathers which means it probably could already fly which means that it probably wasn't like a lot of birds are today a really helpless little baby that was in the nest for a really long time being taken care of by its parents so because um i mean it really varies like there are some birds that fly seriously the same day that they hatch and then there are birds that take like a year almost to to figure out how to fly but those Mm. are usually birds that are um like water birds so they just are they're kind of just like swimming (laughs) rather than flying sort of um i know eagles take a while too yeah i think the a lot of times the bigger you are the longer it takes you and you're the top of food chain which doesn't really matter yeah yeah for sure (laughs) um but yeah so this 99 million year old little tiny baby bird from you know the age of the dinosaurs so it's a really early bird um I, it's an early, early bird, bird gets oh, the amber no <laughs> we'll the cut er, that out later. that early bird didn't get the worm it actually died a terrible it death did, did and then was trapped in trees resin so it was not a good example of being an but early we're, bird we're 
happy yeah. that it died a terrible death. And it's um it's an extinct lineage of early birds. Huh. So it's not a, like a direct ancestor of today's birds. It was kind of an offshoot of those gotcha. beginning stages of bird evolution. It was an offshoot that didn't didn't make it. It didn't Just make like it. the little bird didn't make it. Oops. Oh, hopefully he wasn't the last one. <laughs> but I love and they nicknamed it the, uh-huh. re- the researchers that found it. Its name, I don't know if it's supposed to be a boy or a girl. I mean, it sounds kind of androgynous to me. Bellany. Bellany? Yeah, isn't that cute? I like the nicknames that scientists come up with. Yeah, me too. Nickname everything. (laughs) I command you. (laughs) I don't want to have to learn all these new names. I want to learn nicknames. You know, it's easier to remember than the actual genus species. Well, it's just like like when Jane Goodall named the chimpanzees instead of numbering or, you know, giving them kind of like serial numbers. Like, well... Today, chimp A three D seven is acting really weird, and she's like, "Paul's being weird." It's like, no, Frodo, he's a jerk. <laughs> Frodo, I don't think one of them was named Paul. <laughs> that would have been good though. Frodo is an actual example, though. I want everybody to know. I'm yeah, not making true, that up. True, <laughs> so it sounds less like she was just taking notes in like a typical office building, <laughs> where she's like, "Paul, Fred Steve. was really weird at the water cooler." Cut it out, this Steve. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So they're having a real moment with like early bird discoveries. Yeah, they're finding some really cool stuff in that Burmese amber. Yeah. 99 million years old. I I mean, it's one of those things you just, you hear that number and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But oh my God. So those people are rock stars in their field now. Yeah. I mean, it was so long. I mean, you know, dinosaurs went extinct 65 or 66 million years ago. So this is 30 something million years before that happened. Million years. Yeah. Not 33 years, not, not thousand years, millions of years. Yeah. As, as hard as it is to believe some days, especially reading the news, we've come a long way. Yeah. (laughs) It took us a really long time. What is going to be going on in another 99 million years? I mean, what is going to be happening? We should trap some people in resin right now. Yeah. Just to make sure that there's like a historical record. I wonder, I really wonder what we will leave behind for the next, I mean, for the, the intelligent cephalopods when the octopus people take over. <laughs> right. What are they going to find out about us? This is a good question. Yeah. I I've, mean, people already, like the Anthropocene is sort of like a suggested time and geologic time, you mm-hmm. know, which is like pre-Cambrian and yeah, like Jurassic and the Cretaceous period. It's like the Anthropocene is the time in which we have left a mark that you could tell, like, oh, and this is when people started messing everything up or whatever, however you were. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder what we will really leave. It's like that. Have you read that book, The World Without Us? No. Oh, man, it's so it. cool because this is it's kind of what it is. It's, it's the hypothetical is, okay, human, all, all people just evaporate tomorrow. Like, not mm-hmm. like there's a nuclear holocaust, like, not like there's a cause of, of our demise, but just we, we just all disappear. disappear. What happens to all of the infrastructure we have built and everything that we've done? Like, how long would it last? It goes to pot really quick, right? It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, he really goes into how, like, the, how long it would take all of our roads to just disappear yeah. and for that to just turn back to dirt and, like, for cities to, to be, just fall um, like New York City would wouldn't last long at all. I remember hearing about that. How yeah. it was like so very quick that Manhattan would just be overcome and become forest again. And part of the reason is that they're just constantly pumping water exactly. out of the subway system. Exactly. Like it people don't realize that it would flood within like a week. Not even. Yeah. Like and then seriously, that within would be it. 36 hours, yeah. it, like Manhattan would be pretty much a bog. Yeah. Like just oh my god, what? 
I mean, they're they're kind of on their way <laughs> to that now with all their subway problems. But that's why it's such a big deal is because, yeah, it takes so much work to survive. Like, why why did we ever start living there? That was a terrible... <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Don't say that to any New Yorkers. I know, They'll be very I know. upset with you. Well, you know, New Yorkers thrive on adversity. It's fine. <laughs> I understand. But uh, yeah, just practically speaking, it wasn't the best, the best number one choice. Yeah. But, I mean, um, that, yeah, that, that's a whole complicated yeah. and terrible history. Well, it also too. reminded me, there was a, a book It was out. I remember it was around when we were kids, but it was like an illustrated um, like satire of like you know, thousands of years from now, people have discovered like our modern society, like buried, you know, and so it's just like these anthropologists and they've found, um, like toilet seats and like toilet brushes trying to figure it out what are these things and Uh, then like there's this illustration of one of the scientists like wearing it like a headdress uh, and he's like this was used in special ceremonies oh my god and i remember like as a kid reading it being like what is happening Like, I didn't get it. And then as an adult, I'm like, this is kind of funny. That's awesome. (laughs) It's like the three seashells in Demolition Man. What are they for? (laughs) How do you use them? Yeah. But so, Chase. Yeah. Margaret? Mary. Mary. Oh, man. I'm failing already. F minus. You're on the right track. (laughs) I'd say C minus. You're fine. Mary. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't know anything about her. And, like, she, you know... She was born a while ago, and and it was before we really started tracking women's accomplishments in science for various reasons. Wait, we do that now? <sighs> we we do <laughs> slightly better, <laughs> but yes, yes. So how long Touché. ago are we talking? Well, she was born in 1869. That's not a real year. <laughs> that never happened. It, it, it did happen. Oh. I swear. But it was like right after the Civil War. I was going to say, I was like, so Civil War times. Fun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So she was born in Illinois in Iroquois County, which sounds like it was super rural at that point. I mean, it's probably still, I don't know. I haven't looked it up on a map, but rural lots of, 1860s. Lots of parts of the country. like a blast. Yeah. And uh, her name was Mary Agnes Mira, and her father was Irish, and he worked in the railroad, and he actually died... Um, pretty early she was only a couple years old when he died on the railroad i don't know i think it was i don't know what he died of the the details on her earlier life are very sparse like i'll get into that a little bit later as well like how much we don't know and then we found out oh there was a ton more and it just is not recorded anywhere um and this gets you know she lived she was you know into into mid-90s and so that puts us well into the 20th century. Right. And we still don't have good records about her as a person and, you know, beyond her scientific accomplishments. So, again, this is why it's important to interview scientists and document, you know, who they are and not just... Yeah, so in a couple hundred years when someone is making a show like this and they're talking about scientists that are alive today, yeah. I think we're talking about their Twitter updates. Like, what are they... Get? So it's like... The complete opposite, you know. We I mean, have I guess... no information about her early life, but then people know what I ate two days ago. Right. And and actually, <laughs> the, the details that they learned later about her came from personal letters. Right. Like, it didn't come from any, quote-unquote, official record. It came from, you know, this is stuff she wrote to her family should write a memoir, and friends. Just in case. Just in case, you guys. Leave just it with your will. Just in case you actually end up being really cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> you should write about how cool you are. Control the narrative. Yeah. If we've learned get anything. Get ahead of the story. And you, you could just get on Twitter and make stuff up. Mm-hmm. But it'll be there and, and people will use it as a record. Yeah. You, I mean, unless you want your Twitter to be your memoir, just start writing it now. This is true. Yeah. This just, is true. Just advice. So, so yeah, she was born in Illinois. She was raised in Chicago. She only ever finished grammar school. Because I think her family was not that well off, and that was really all they could afford. Afford? Um, oh, because I know there wasn't public education yet. I mean, I assume that there may have been, or maybe it was afforded in around, the sense that they like, needed her to work. Exactly. So yeah, she this also is before child labor laws. She also happened. started supporting the family right, at that point. So right. grammar school, like that's pretty. That's pretty early. Um, and what she did to support herself and her family was to proofread and typeset for newspapers. So. I guess. So like a 10-year-old is <laughs> doing as a copy editor? Listen, they were running mills. Oh my God. <laughs> that was fine. That was like a so safe Yeah, I know you're still profession. reading Dr. Seuss, who wasn't, who's not born yet, but I yeah. know you're still reading that stuff, but hey, can you, can you look at this article? <laughs> so she, I think she was doing that for a while and like into her teenage years because um, one of the, the newspapers that she worked with uh, was called the School Herald, and the editor for that was William Ingram Chase. He was 34 years old. I don't like where this is going. I don't like it at all. 19. And they got married. Okay. But I don't know if you'll be happy or sad about this. He he died within the first year of their marriage from tuberculosis. Okay. Let me me work through these feelings (laughs) right now. Okay. Let me. All right. So 34-year-old marrying a Mm 19-year-old. And this is around the turn. Wait. This is 1888. I was going to say that. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he dies of tuber- tuberculosis is not a fun way to die. Nope. I mean, there are f- more fun ways. <laughs> this is true. It's not. I mean, I'm sure that there are less fun ways as well. Um, I'm going to say that this is a wash. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let me add one more, <laughs> I now one feel more fact neutral. on top of this. Okay. He left her in debt. Um, All of his debt that he built up, he left to her because, you know, when you get married, right. but yeah, you leave each other merges. all sorts of stuff, including debt. <laughs> Okay, so now I don't I don't like it. Yep. As you could imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she had to keep working to pay off the creditors. Okay. And she never remarried. And I don't know, we don't know if that's because So dude she didn't have like a life insurance policy. Was that not a thing yet? When you're I mean... thirty four, do you have a life insurance policy? Yeah. Well <laughs> some of us are more organized than others. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so she never remarried and um she kept working, and it turns out that her nephew, who was, I think, around, like, he was a teenager, like, 13 years old or something, he was into botany and, like, studying plants and stuff, and they kind of struck up a relationship centered around that. So she discovered, oh, I like plants, too. And so then they would, like, hang out together and, like, go out and, you know, into these more rural areas and sketch plants and stuff. And she kept notebooks of all these sketches that, you know, she was accumulating, and she just became more and more interested in it, was like trying to read up more and more about just botany in general. And of course, this is all done on her own with whatever she can access because she never went to college. At that time, women just didn't go to college. Um, and at a that lot time, of them. Very few people went to college at right, all, right? That's true. That's yeah. true. Especially if you didn't have the means to do it. Yeah. And um, also, if you were a woman and you wanted to go to college, you were not going to specialize in the sciences because they were not going to let you do that. 
Um, so yeah, so she just got it into it all up by her own. And she actually took extension courses like at the university of Chicago, which was nearby, um, just anything she could get her hands on basically to kind of expand her field of knowledge. That's awesome. And so she actually became acquainted with a bryologist and I had to look up what that was. Oh, I thought you just said it wrong. <laughs> I may have. It's like someone who studies like mosses oh, and, they're, yeah, and they're, the warts. They're, yeah, they're bryophytes and stuff. Okay, yeah. I thought you just were saying biologists with like an R stuck in there. I was like, what? Did we need to redo that? <laughs> I'm a bryologist. one of those times where we don't have to redo it. But yes, I understand you. <laughs> <laughs> why your first instinct is you mispronounce something um but yeah so he actually hired her to illustrate some of the species that he was describing and it worked out because he was like listen you do my illustrations and in exchange i'll teach you about botany and i'll let you use my my microscope to like mm. study specimens and stuff nice. so it's kind of like a nice mentor mentee exchange and the friendship like led her to another association with yeah another like botanist whose name was Charles Charles Frederick Millspaw and he was at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. And so she basically throughout her life because she didn't have a formal education kind of worked her way up through mentorship. And so she was a networker. She was a networker mm. and they were all dudes because that's what was around and available. There were no other women that, you know, could like help her bootstrap her way into this career. So uh, while she was working as a meat inspector in the Chicago stockyards, which was a huge industry in in Chicago at that time, she just moonlighted as a botanical illustrator. So, you know, just on the side when you're working with like herding cows or whatever yeah, she's gotta doing have that like side slaughtering hustle. them and then side hustle exactly um and she actually you know be, her illustrations started getting published in articles like in the early 1900s because she was working on this and at this point she's in her mid-30s so it takes a while for her to get going you know it's not like she's we read about some of these scientists and they're like at age 19 they published their first scientific paper and we all feel yeah. bad about ourselves yeah well it took her a little while so i don't feel as bad and then she applied at, at one of her mentor's suggestions. She applied for a position for a botanical artist at the USDA, the Department of Agriculture. Oh. And she got it. So she took the civil service exam. Nice. I guess she had taught herself enough, like, how to do all this stuff that she actually passed. So, yeah, in 1903, at age 34, she started working for USDA. She worked for the Division of Grain and Forage Plant Investigations. And she kind of, like, worked her way up through the ranks there until she got to senior botanist. So all of this finally paid off in a career. Granted, it's not an academic career, but she got into studying with other academics and like she published papers and stuff. So the big name that she got associated with at the USDA was Albert Speer Hitchcock. And he worked in the herbarium. And this kind of got her into the realm of grasses. So... You know, at the beginning, I said she was like yeah. the expert on grasses. So she just went down that rabbit hole like nobody's business. <laughs> like an actual rabbit hole. <laughs> like surrounded by grasses. It was so cute, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> she just like hopped up. Um, but yeah, so they formed a working relationship. He started taking her out, you know, on trips and expeditions that he was doing. Into the field, like actually the a actual field. field. <laughs> Into a meadow. <laughs> exactly. And, and so she started working as his uh, scientific assistant. 
which is really slash cool. illustrator slash yeah basically okay. his illustrator and like also they were just collecting all a bunch of stuff because at this point grasses had not really been documented at all and in the u.s maybe more so than in other areas so they were also like venturing out of the country to try to find other specimens and stuff so they were both collecting and then bringing it back and she was illustrating and all that Right, because, yeah, that's the prairie out there, right, where there's yeah. lots of different species yeah, that maybe are, aren't are anywhere else. So, yeah, that's, I got, I never would have thought about that. But, yeah. yeah, of course, someone had to actually go out and do that stuff. And it makes sense that someone from Illinois would, <laughs> would end up studying grasses. Um, but, yeah, so she, in 1906, she started publishing articles, her first papers on, like, certain types of grasses and just kind of went from there. Hmm. So it's it's nice. It's nice to see, you know, the career taking off. And she worked for, as an illustrator, just forever, for like her entire career, basically. And the USDA, that grass herbarium under the USDA was actually transferred to the Smithsonian Institution in 1912. So it became part of the Smithsonian. So that's very prestigious. And Hitchcock was there for many, many years until he died, basically. So just a tangent here. So as a woman... She encountered barriers in her career, clearly. What? That's I know. crazy. She ran into things like, oh, you can't come on this trip because we're not paying your way. So if you want to come, you just have to pay your, for yourself. Dude. I know, right? So it's like, you're on your own. Go find some scholarship money that doesn't actually exist uh. or whatever. But as hard as things were, she actually was lucky. Ugh. I use that term very loosely. In quotes. Very, yeah. Because she was allowed to work in botany. It was one of those scientific fields where people were like, botany, that's that's weak sauce. It's not serious, yeah. Yeah. That's like flowers and stuff. Flowers. (laughs) It's like flowers and grasses. So it actually wasn't considered a quote unquote manly science. And there was actually a, a science article in 1887 that said botany merely is one of those ornamental branches of science suitable enough for young ladies and effeminate youths, but not adapted for able-bodied and vigorous-brained young men who oh wish to make god. the best use of their powers. Oh my god. <laughs> so it was totally okay for chicks to do it. Because it's pretty. Because it's pretty. <laughs> and like they're just out there like frolicking in the field. Yeah. And, like picking, yeah. Picking wildflowers. So that that was dresses. their perception of the field at that time. It later changed, like, I think with, within her lifetime, the same, the same journal, science journal, was like, oh, no, this is very, this is very manly Because we vigorous. eat some of this stuff. Well, because they had to, like, hike up, you know, mountains and collect, you know, they'd go on these expeditions, like, far out in the, in the field. Oh, and it's so camping? Then, exactly. Once it became camping, then they were like, oh, no, this is, this is manly. We, sh- we need to keep the chicks out. Yeah. So she just, she couldn't win. <laughs> she couldn't Jeez, win at this game. Ways. And like, for example, in 1911, they, they decided to do a survey, a huge survey of the Panama Canal region. And she wanted to go along. And they set up the research facility on this island. And, uh, you know, it was like accessible by boat within a day from the mainland. But the way that they kept women out was to say, well, the dormitory on the island is just for men. Like women cannot stay there because they're a distraction. Oh, well, obviously. Yeah, because, I don't know, their boobs flap around or whatever in the wind. But, like, 
so the the only option was that you, you would pay your own way first of all get to the mainland and then have to travel back and forth by boat every single day uh-huh. in order to participate and then once you get there they're like yeah we don't really want you around so she wasn't able to do that and not only did they exclude women on that trip to the Panama Canal area, let me remind everyone, they excluded Latin American scientists, both men and women, because um, why would we want them? <laughs> why would we want you? You only live here you only and live here. know things that we don't know. We so, don't like other people knowing things. Basically, these botany dudes were the blurst. Great decisions, everybody. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So all of this, like, kind of galvanized her into the women's rights movement. She was a suffragette. So she was like, screw this. Like, she wasn't really interested. Well, she may have been interested in all the other, like, civil rights and that kind of thing. But really, she was like, I want to advance my career. I am unable to do so. Well, then I'm joining this movement because they have kind of the same general goal that I do. Mm -hmm. And she attended a rally. I mean, she was in her late 40s at this point. You know, and if you attended a suffragette rally, you could be arrested. She was arrested. She was held in jail for 10 days. And she, she like, put on a hunger strike, and they force-fed her. Like, you know, it was... Yeah, it was a mess. And meanwhile, her place of employment was like, this is conduct unbecoming a government employee. We want to fire you. And it was her male mentor who stepped in and kind of helped save her job. Oh. Yeah. So... At least she had someone looking out for her. Yeah, Because otherwise awesome. that may have been the end of everything she was trying to accomplish. And this was in 1918. So this was right before, you know, the amendment was passed that gave women the right to vote. At least white women. Mm-hmm. We, we, had a, yeah. we had a ways to go on that one. Oh, God. But yeah, so that kind of changed her whole orientation. And so at that point she was like, I'm going to concentrate on mentoring women and minority botanists. And like and minorities, yes, oh, yeah, nice. So I'm always happy when someone sees past their own stuff. <laughs> I know. So she I'm was going to mentor lots of white women. She was traveling like <laughs> no, no, a lot no. to Latin America, and cool. so she was like, when I travel to Latin America, gosh darn it, we're going to involve Latin American scientists. Yay! Yeah, and she would bring like American women scientists with her, and you know, help them along Sweet. in their career as well. So that was that was pretty awesome. Yay. She's good. She was a good ally. <laughs> so her, her mentor, Hitchcock, this guy, who sounds pretty awesome. I really like his films. <laughs> He's, he I'm made sorry. good films later. That's just, it's um, such a great name. It's like, and I'm sure anyone who has that last name is like, why did Alfred have to do this to us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he had like 45 field notebooks full of observations. He visited like every state in the union he went to Asia, Africa, Central America, South America, Canada, everywhere. This guy was like Where all over the place. Where did he not go? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> the research did not indicate. Yeah, he probably didn't go to the moon. There's Antarctica no there. is not listed. Oh, okay. You know, so he didn't go there. Quitter. I know. <laughs> but, you know, he worked on building this huge collection of grasses for the, what later, you know, became the Smithsonian. And she was just right along there with him, like, collecting stuff. And um, she actually spent a lot of time in Europe and Brazil collecting grasses with him and without him, just on her own. She spent seven months in Brazil and added 500 species 
to their little Take collection that, Carl. there. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And then she's like, Carl. please someone else name them. <laughs> I do not have the time or the patience. <laughs> um, but her specialty was like American grasses and this turned out, you know, she was collecting American grasses, but she ended up collecting the largest collection of Brazilian grasses ever assembled. Oh, wow. Just, I think, on this one trip. <laughs> well, then let me just say, uh, and just in case you haven't heard the Carl Linnaeus episode, Carl was a dude that just went on a lot of expeditions and named plants. And yes. I don't like him very much, so <laughs> I was just trying to give him a hard time. But he's, so, there we he's go. Uh, the binomial nomenclature guy. Yeah. He, he's the reason why we have the whole genus species set up. Yeah. It's the previous or two of whatever. Yeah. Go but at this point, <laughs> that was the system. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're totally using Carl's system okay, at this fine, point. Carl, God, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, there were like a couple personal details where she didn't really like Europe. She preferred Brazil, I think, oh. because she connected with the people a little bit more. But <laughs> apparently she had... She was upset that Easter was a week-long holiday <laughs> in Europe. So it sounds like she maybe either wasn't religious or wasn't into vacation. Oh, my God, that's funny. Know. She's like, why is everything still closed? Yeah, yeah. And she also was not allowed to have a personal key to the museum, probably during Easter breaks. So oh. she, was not, she was not thrilled with that. But yeah, so... All this information that she brought back, she and Hitchcock like incorporated into scientific articles and his books and everything. And then he died in 1935 and she took over for him as senior botanist. Nice. Yeah. So all those years of kind of, you know, grooming her and taking her along and all these these expeditions, I guess they were like, Someone got a promotion who actually deserves it. Right? I mean, listeners, really. How (laughs) rare does that happen? How rarely? I know. And at this point, she was in her mid-60s. Sweet. Yeah. I guess they figured maybe she wasn't going to be around along much longer. But she was awesome. And she retired from the USDA just several years later, like in 1939. But she actually continued to work for the Smithsonian Institute for free. Hmm. So I, they, they got they got a good deal out of that one yeah, because seriously. I think she worked for them and published until she was 94, which was when she died. My face <laughs> I just know. contorted. That is, <laughs> wow, that's really impressive. I know. I think as long as she kept working, she kept living. And then, yeah, yeah, probably as soon as she published that last I book. I really admire people that, that are like that. They're just, yeah. they're like sharks. They're just like going to keep on moving. Yeah. You know, just like, that's how I stay alive. It's also kind of exhausting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so she was an expert in her field and in her early 70s, like after she retired from the Smithsonian, technically, Latin American countries started hitting her up to like help them found like research institutes and establish botany programs. And she totally did it. Like she would go and help them do this stuff. But it was kind of controversial because it was like seen as competition for the Smithsonian because clearly they were all over the world and like doing other studies and but she didn't care (laughs) yeah she was like whatever it's It's all for the best it's their country they want to have a program about their own grasses so i'm gonna help them do that for sure so that was pretty cool so she discovered in her lifetime over 500 species of plants just by her lonesome wow i know (laughs) you know what i haven't discovered even one of them I know. So that's really not. I haven't discovered anything. I found a <laughs> snail earlier. Does that count as anything? No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't count at all. Why would you even ask that? <laughs> 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 but 
but uh but no that's really that's really cool um and she did finally receive a degree oh. an honorary doctorate from the university of illinois oh good job i feel like the state of illinois probably owed her yeah seriously <laughs> so she got that she received at age 89 oh wow so i'm not sure they can be credited <laughs> with took them a while <laughs> took them a while know, all right but you know she got there and she offered she authored just like tons of publications like the first book of grasses. She helped Hitchcock revise his manual of grasses on the United of the United States. And then at age, yeah, it was the year before her death. Um, she and another botanist published a three volume index of U S grasses with over 80,000 species. <gasps> Did you know there were 80,000 species of American grasses? Are you sure that's not a typo? That's crazy. I don't think it is. I mean, it's I'm, just, I'm... yeah, it's, it's just bananas. Yeah. Yikes. This is why... I'm sorry. This is why she had a career. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? I'm just... Meh. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she died in 1963, age 94. So 1963, like, that's well into the realm of recorded history, mm-hmm. right? Of newspapers, of everything. But we still don't know. Like, all we have really is, like, stuff about her later life. And, you know, clearly she didn't start really start her career until her mid-30s. So all this stuff happened that we don't know about. And I was reading up on her a little bit. And they were saying, you know, at some point in her letters, there's mention of grandchildren. But never any mention that she had a kid. And it must have been, you know, during her... So technically everyone, just so you know... You get grandchildren by having your yes, children. Yes, I'm sorry. We need to backtrack children. and explain. <laughs> um, that's really weird. I wonder yeah. if they, whenever it's like how people call themselves like someone's aunt, even if they're not, like maybe Possibly, it's like I'm your grandma. Even but though. again, like even if that's the case, we don't know. You know, if she had people in that le- in her life who were that close to her, we don't know anything about them. Huh. So that was interesting, and like her biographies that mention her marriage never mentioned that she had children and she was only married for like less than a year yeah. to this guy maybe Weird. that's why she married him who knows because he died within a year did he have children from a previous marriage i don't see we don't know Weird. no wait she knows. died in 1963 yeah so 1963 i i know that i made the alfred hitchcock joke earlier that's actually the year the birds came out so that's kind of interesting really yeah that's much scarier than his original idea the grasses <laughs> <laughs> That's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> At the end, there's a twist, but it's really boring. But yeah, so she, apparently she has a couple of grandchildren, but, and yeah. there's like some photos of her holding a small child, which is possibly her child, hmm. but just don't know because yeah. no one ever bothered to interview her and write it down and write a, a newspaper article or anything about her. Huh. So yeah, it would have been nice. To yeah. have a little more information, but she sounds like she was pretty awesome regardless. And she truly bootstrapped her way into a career in botany when there was no other way to do it. Yeah. And then helped others, you know. Yeah, she is seriously a up. testament to the power of networking and a positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe she was grumpy the whole time. I don't know. <laughs> but she was like resolute, yeah. you know. So I, I enjoyed learning about her. I I especially enjoyed learning about how, you know, she, after, after getting involved in the women's movement, she was like, I don't want to have to depend on male mentors for this. Cause I think she probably realized how, even though she had a great mentor, how tenuous, Mm -hmm. you know, her whole position was. Yeah. And without him, she would have lost her job in 1918 and 
you know, she didn't want that to happen to other people. Yeah. So she's like, well, we just need to form our own network. Yeah. Because it really was and a crapshoot. And I'll be the first. It's like, yeah, it worked out really well. But yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It probably does feel like, oh my God, if you don't, if you don't have my back, I'm exactly. done for. Yeah. And like, there's no way that he could have understood exactly what she was going through. Yeah. Well, good on him. Let's give good him, on him some, some credit. Exactly. Yeah. And good on her for picking up. Yeah. you know, where that left off and trying to kind of push that whole thing forward. Yeah. So yeah, it was this, awesome. This, you know, what it reminds me of is like, I'm seeing so many admittedly like really cool things about like women in STEM and like little girls, like getting excited about science mm-hmm. and books that are just about, you know, women in science. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's setting a kind of, it's doing the part of, of normalizing it and spreading. And like, it's like, oh no, there's, tons of people that have done this if you're interested in it it's not a boy thing and right. that, that's all great and so it's like so people are putting all the emphasis on encouraging girls to go into science but no one's putting any emphasis on teaching boys and men to actually treat them well when they get there right. so it's a difference between getting them to enter stem and keeping them in STEM. yeah so no one's addressing the issues and yeah. like we're just kind of hope it's it's like it's like we're in a war and we're just throwing more soldiers right into the mix just like i mean it's, we're hoping it's a well, numbers you know, you know game what it is? Yeah, yeah we're it's like it's like we're sea turtles and we're yeah. like okay i'm gonna lay a couple dozen eggs so that one of them will get through yeah the rest of it will be eaten by seagulls. Yeah, so we're not doing anything with seagulls. We're just trying to lay more eggs yeah. so that maybe two of them get through rather than, you know, whatever. So, yeah, we're not addressing the actual issues at hand. And it's kind yeah, of Yeah, I was always like, why don't you just help the yeah, sea turtles why don't you just, like, stick sea? around and do something for them? God. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, it's, you know, that's just, that's one strategy. But, yeah, it would be really great to do something about the seagulls. And we're not. And, yeah. and nobody is. I mean, yeah, like, all these... We're we're really over promising a lot, and a lot of people are bringing that up now, especially girls that, if you think about it, who are maybe in high school right now, who have maybe for the last couple of years are in really formative time, like middle school on, or like science is the best thing, and mm-hmm. we need more scientists and go into it, and then they're yeah they're going to get there and still have these really old school, horribly sexist people in all the positions of power, and right. are going to run into all well, these ridiculous. They're looking blocks. at the numbers now and realizing that tons more women. I mean, still not as many women as men, but tons more women are entering STEM and yet the retaining numbers like are not there. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting that many more, you know, women professors, for example, out of the pipeline. And people are like, why is that happening? Well, we let's just throw more women into, I, <laughs> into the front end. And it's like, no, you have to make sure that they stay. And you yeah, have to and figure they, out why they And they, they don't leave. think it's them. I mean, I knew a, a, a very, very senior professor. He was really, I'm sorry, he was old. He was so old. <laughs> um, and he, in you know, some documentation was writing about why there was just such a terrible gender ratio in the, the department, the chemistry department. Mm. And he, yeah, had this language that was just basically said, yeah, it just, you know, women choose to leave. It has nothing to do with the department. It has nothing to do with any kind of institutionalized barriers or anything. It's like, no, they just choose to leave. That's just women just choose that more often, just naturally. And Mystery. Yeah, to him it was just like, oh, well, they have kids and they leave. And it's like, well, if that's... That kind uh, of attitude would never actually hold up in the sciences. That's the irony of this whole situation. Like, if you noticed that, you know, there were 10,000 women going into STEM and like, five staying and you just said well it's just the way it's just the way it is mm-hmm. that would not hold up yeah you would be like no you need to investigate this yeah. qu- this question yeah, and so, figure out why so 
So go so think about that, everybody. You know, let's think about ways that we can actually yeah. encourage little boys. Mm-hmm. To, like, I mean, unless how to be a Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, unless they are reading those books that you're that like the books that are just about women in science yes. and saying, "Hey, look at all these amazing women." Unless you're giving those books to boys, we have an issue. If you're only giving them to little I girls, actually, this is a problem. Last Christmas, I got my nephew who is nine years old. I got him that book. Oh, I can't remember. Women in science. Women in science, mm-hmm. and it's illustrated. It's amazing. Yeah, it looks Rachel great. Ignatovsky. Yeah, it's She's just like a one-page write-up on each scientist and like her major accomplishments and all that. And I gave it to him for Christmas, and of course, like you know, he's just tearing through his presents like crazy and he, he looks at it and he has a younger sister and so he like looks at the thing and he goes is this for me and i was like yeah it's for you <laughs> yeah but he was you know surprised because we don't give boys mm-hmm. stuff stories like that about stories women. about women we expect women to read stories about men but yes. we don't expect you know boys and yeah. men to read the stories the whole about argument women. like oh they won't be able to identify cry me a river mm-hmm. you know how many books i had to, like every single book growing up i had to identify mm-hmm. with a male character mm-hmm. so yeah there's no excuse you should definitely yeah. even that out and teach teach everyone absolutely teach everyone so yeah that's that's the takeaway from mary agnes so when we invite her to brunch she's going to have probably a vegetarian meal see grasses <laughs> isn't corn technically a grass I don't Maybe know. she'll have like breakfast enchilada things. Oh, chilaquiles. That's Ooh. what it is. It's like the you know, That's corn good. chip situation. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. And she'd probably be into like Latin American flair anyway because oh, she yeah. spent so much time down there. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. If there are any of Brazilian course, brunch dishes, mm-hmm. she'd be into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would be awesome to have her. And we Without won't, a doubt. We won't tell her how, how depressing the academic landscape for women is. No, so no, we'll tell her everything's but, fine. Uh, yeah, we'll tell her everything's just, fine. Yeah. We'll play along and just give her a good meal. I mean, I'm sure it is, I mean, it, it is better, but. Right. It could be even better. True. We're Our working pro- on it. We're working on it. Progress could be better. Yes. But progress is being made. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Baby steps, everybody. We're going to, we're actually, that's, you know, babies take actually some really big steps. So they're like, (laughs) babies are doing better than we are. (laughs) Mouse steps. Yeah. Yeah. We need to start. We need to start running. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Science Brunch about our friend Mary and all of her grass. (laughs) We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, check us out on Twitter and Facebook and follow and subscribe and review and other stuff. And we'll see you next time.